I want to speak to you this afternoon on victory over deep discouragement and loneliness. Victory over deep discouragement and loneliness. And if um, I think on the screen we're going to start reading out of the book of Samuel, chapter 30. Uh, 1 Samuel, thank you. 1 Samuel 30. This message has three parts. We're going to look at despair and loneliness and um, in, through the life of David. Because many times looking at the story, the stories that are in the Old Testament really explain the situation better. Then we're going to look at the turnaround and what happened at the breaking up of that despair, that discouragement and that loneliness. And then we're going to look at what the amazing next step was all in these few verses. First Samuel chapter 30. I'm reading from King James. And it came to pass when David and his men were come to Ziklag on the third day, that the Amalekites had invaded the south and Ziklag, and smitten Ziklag, and burned it with fire. Ziklag is the base camp for David and his army. And had taken the women captives that were therein. They slew not any, either great or small, but carried them away, and went on their way. So David and his men came to the city, and behold, it was burned with fire, and their wives and their sons and their daughters were taken captives. Then David and the people that were with him lifted up their voice and wept until they had no more power to weep. Verse 6, and David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and his daughters. But David encouraged himself in the Lord his God. And David said to Abiathar the priest, Ahimelech's son, I pray you bring me hither the ephod. And Abiathar brought hither the ephod to David. And David inquired at the Lord, saying, Shall I pursue after this troop? Shall I overtake them? And he answered him, Pursue, for thou shalt surely overtake them, and without fail recover all. You know, I, I like this story of David at this part in his life because it was before he was crowned king. And it's, he's sort of still in the situation of the every man. And it's a, um, a relatable moment when he is in this situation. He's returning home from a fight that a lot of biblical scholars would question the kind of fight he was in. Because it tells us in verse uh, chapter 29 of 1 Samuel, the chapter before the one we've just read, that for a season, actually, David was found fighting with the enemy, the Philistines. And some say his return from fighting with the enemy in their land could represent people who um, have walked a compromised walk a little bit, have hit a a tough time where they felt perhaps very much estranged from God might represent people who um, were never really convinced for a season, is God with me? Is he mad at me or sad with me? Maybe things weren't really clear. Um, maybe some people could look at his life and go, David, your testimony, I mean, really, whose side are you on? 
Some say, no, David was actually where he should have been fighting with the Philistines. He was hiding from King Saul. But if you think about that, if you've got your part of your testimony is where you're hiding, you have no clear witness anymore of what God has done in your life or, or what he can do. Maybe it's not the best part of our testimony. Regardless, though, we find David in this chapter riding home. We find him and his men, they've entered back into the promised land. And it must have felt very good. Must have felt great that maybe things were getting clearer now. Things were coming into focus. I, for Maybe they were starting to think, I don't, I don't know what that last bit was. That was tough. That was hard. But I, we're, we're drawn back into the promised land and we're, we're headed home. Maybe you find yourself today... It's a good place. You're back in church. You're, you're loving the worship. You're drawn here today and it actually feels good. No matter where you've been the last little while, you're here now. You're heading home and it feels good. For many here, we can say that prayer appeals to us. It's a good place to be. We're in the promised land. But you know, this returning back... For the, a, a short season doesn't really have a Disney ending. This returning and clearly back into the promised land and back with right priorities and heading home is good. But because it doesn't look like an immediate blessing there, we can be a little deceived in this story. But I want to assure you this is an amazing story if you're looking for a way out from deep discouragement and loneliness. This has an amazing ending. See, when they get to Ziklag and they get not too far from home, they begin to see where they had dwelt. The fires, the smoke was starting to billow. Of course, it wasn't the smoke from the hearth and cooking. Of course, it was the smoke of a burned village, a burned town, a devastated place. And... You know, I feel that this is such a, uh, an apt spiritual description of what can happen in lives where we're returning to God and we have expectations of what that means or we're walking with him. But the place and where we find ourselves has significant pain in it. And you may be the only Christian in your family and this situation at Ziglag you can relate to it feels like when you go home there is devastation it feels like you're very alone and that no one is there it aptly describes I think not just physically what can happen to people where families become separate where there's death in the family but it does aptly represent a spiritual fight a spiritual opposition that where you and I want to serve God in our generation. But I tell you, it can feel at times like we are very much alone and desolate. Where we heard this morning, where we want to do good. But to keep believing can be very tough. To believe that there will be change and change for the good can be very tough where there can be seasons of sorrow and yet to believe God and call him good is what we know we are supposed to do. 
but the spiritual forces, because what we see with our natural eye, what we experience with our emotions can be very different from the promises of God to us. David found himself in this place where he was emotionally isolated and a place where he expected strength and comfort and a welcome was not only not going to happen, but when times got really tough, the men he rode with, the men he fought with, the men where he could have expected the greatest amount of understanding at that time in their own pain actually turned on him and betrayed him and spoke of stoning him. Beloved, this is a a very tough and lonely place. I think this represents actually one of maybe of David's lowest points in his whole life. I'm sure there was exhaustion from battle. And I think Ziklag does represent emotional and spiritual exhaustion. There may have been a secret fear among the men riding with him that they came to a a burned out base camp and home camp because it was payback time from God. It was payback because maybe it was their time spent in the enemy's camp. Maybe there was this not understanding the ways of God. They would have, he, David would have felt so utterly alone because now for some irrational reason, he was being blamed for the whole thing. No matter how much he himself was suffering loss, he was suffering the loss of his family too. But it's like the blame and the shame of the moment was being put on him in a really irrational way. And the scripture tells us that David was greatly distressed. You know, it, this scenario speaks to me of another time when another man was greatly distressed And it's found in the book of Matthew, and I'd like to read it for you because it's just two verses. It says, Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Beloved, if we look at this situation, darkness, while Jesus was hanging on the cross, an unnatural and a deep darkness covered the whole land. From the sixth hour to the ninth hour, there was darkness, a deep darkness. And picture Jesus hanging on the cross in the darkness and crying out, maybe even screaming out a question. Why, why have you forsaken me? You know, this is the God-man hanging on the cross, Jesus, who's fully man, fully God, hanging on the cross, suspended between heaven and earth, in the darkness, crying out. And he was giving voice, of course, to the human side who was in agony. But Jesus, who is the Son of God, hanging on the cross, was at that moment, the sin of the world was being placed on him. And at that moment, as this was happening, he began to quote the actual words of Psalm 22. And those that had any scriptural knowledge would begin to know 
that what he was saying from the cross was, this is the fulfillment of God's will. Christ himself hanging utterly forsaken, utterly desolate, utterly in this place of great agony. And yet he was speaking, look to the scriptures and you will have understanding. Look to the scriptures for what is happening here is the fulfillment of God's will for my life and for the human race. It is Jesus experiencing the deepest of, it's like Jesus himself experienced the deepest dregs of what a human spirit can feel as the sin of the world was being placed upon him. And while it looked like the enemy was having his way at this moment, the actual truth was the enemy was being utterly defeated at that moment. See, when sin entered the world through Adam and Eve, when they chose to sin in the face of the glory of God, knowing him, when sin entered the world, we were separated from God. Sin causes separation. When humans became, uh, inherited a sin nature, this propensity to evil now resides in us. And this kind of sin brings death. The wages of sin is death. And man has a sin problem. Man has a death problem. Man has a separation problem. But it says in Hebrews 2.9, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, that he should taste death for every man. And the scripture says that through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Let me put it this way. When Jesus, in, according to the will of his father, agreed to crucifixion, to the utter despairing, and loneliness and agony that any human spirit could partake of. When he said yes to that, what he was doing was he was, we've heard the expression, fighting fire with fire. But Jesus knew he was fighting death with death. You see, the devil has a death. And that death is how he operates through sin in our lives. He, the devil has a death that causes separation from God. The devil has a death, but when Christ chose to die on the cross, Christ's death was going to swallow up the, any death the devil could bring. The devil's death of sin and separation was going to be swallowed by the death resurrection of Christ our Lord. Christ's death that led to resurrection was going to be so amazing that whatever our human spirit could experience because of sin, because of separation from God, whatever is of true despair in our spirit, Jesus willingly took on himself that he may destroy the power of it, that his death leading to his resurrection was going to swallow up the loneliness, the despair, the sin, and the separation from God, that it is the root of what afflicts us. And Christ, at this, we understand from the story that Jesus only needed to borrow a grave. 
He didn't need a grave for a long time. You see, his death so leads to life, he only needs to borrow a grave. He needed it for less than 48 hours. Hallelujah. In fact, the devil doesn't have enough death to swallow up the life Christ brings. The devil doesn't have enough death, no matter how it appears in our spirit, no matter how forsaken and lonely, no matter what it is that afflicts us, the devil doesn't have enough that kind of grieving in our spirit, forsakenness, disillusionment and despair that cannot be swallowed up by the life of Christ, who, if we invite him into our life, will always be faithful to bring us to a new place. He will break up the depth of our despair. He will break up the foundations of the death that we inherited because of a sin nature. Christ will be faithful to us and the life he brings to us has the power of his death to swallow up the devil's death. Hallelujah. Because the life Jesus brings, brings reconciliation back with our father, brings, restores a relationship with God. That means his favor rests upon us. That means his life is in it. That means everything he wants for us that's pertaining to life and godliness is ours in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. So that cross that Jesus was hanging on, tasting death for us, tasting the ultimate of death for us, suffering a punishment for us so that when you and I die, we don't want to have to live when you and I, first of all, we don't have to live under the wrath of God. And then we don't have to be eternally separated from God, our father, because he tasted a death for us that we will never have to at death taste eternal separation from God. What Christ tasted for us, that death was to bring us to reconcile us to God, our father, to bring us to a place where our sin would be forgiven, where our sin would be covered, where we can live in this constant place where God can speak to us and restore us to life. But we have to look to Jesus to have that kind of life. We have to look to him. And we see Jesus. He was made a little lower than the angels. The angels he created for his season. He became lower and took on the form of a man. He took on humanity that he could offer it to death. That you and I may know eternal life through his death. Hallelujah. So man doesn't have a sin problem anymore. We don't have a death problem. We don't have a separation problem anymore. But the interesting thing is that he who knew no sin became sin for us. When Jesus in those dark hours, the sin of the world was placed on him, something amazing happened. It says in Hebrews 9.22, because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. You know, in Leviticus 16, it talks about a scapegoat. And it's such a wonderful story that I encourage you this week, if you have a Bible, to read Leviticus chapter 16. It, it, one more, it's going to give us another picture of, of what happened when Christ tasted that death of despair for every man, that death of loneliness for every man, that death of separation from God for every man so that we could be reconciled. But 
Leviticus 16 talks about a scapegoat. And it, it tells us that people will live in darkness if you don't have the presence of God in your life. People will live in darkness if we don't have the presence of God. And David knew that. And in the Old Testament, there was a day called the Day of Atonement. And every year, the high priest, the one that was chosen to represent God to the people, the scripture says that he put on an ephod. And an ephod is a beautiful, jewel-encrusted, fine linen garment that he put on over his clothes. And when he had this beautiful garment that made him stand out in all the crowd, that made him stand out and people go, ooh, this is the holy man in our midst. This is a man marked as special and holy. The scripture says that he took a bull and that bull was sacrificed and the blood of that bull was offered as an atonement for his sin, which is the high priest's sin. And then the high priest called forth and two little goats, one-year-old goats were called towards, toward, to come to this high priest who was wearing this ephod. And one of those goats was designated to be the Lord's goat. And the other was going to be the goat upon which the whole sin of Israel was going to be laid on that goat. And he would, the high priest would sacrifice one goat would kill him and take the blood of that goat and go into the Holy of Holies and put the blood of that goat on the mercy seat. Then he would come back out and he would put both his hands on the other goat and signifying at that moment on this one day of atonement, this one holy day where all of Israel gathered to see, does God forgive sin and are we separated from him? And that high priest would lay his hand on that other goat. And he would, he would say that this, the, all the sin of the nation of Israel would be, he would confess it, all the sins of the nation of Israel, while his two hands were on that goat. And then the scripture says, a fit man, which means a righteous man, who had also changed his garments would lead this goat away, this scapegoat, away from the tribes, away from the tabernacle. And all of Israel would see what direction that goat that was now made a curse, that all the sins of Israel were, were now transferred to that goat. A fit man would lead him in one direction and lead that goat into the wilderness, would lead him into a very barren place, he would lead him so far into that wilderness that there would be no return for that little goat. And he would leave that goat and it was now going to be unprotected. And it would be unprotected to the wild beasts. It would be so led into the wilderness that there would be no way back. So if it was not torn by beasts, it would die of thirst or hunger. And then that fit man would make his way back into the camp of Israel. And beloved, everybody saw what direction that sin was going. Everybody saw in what direction it was as it walked further and further away, never to find its way back into the camp of Israel. You know, it's a very graphic story, but they all understood what its meaning and its significance was. How God was saying one more time, my people, I forgive you. I forgive you because the sin question was dealt with. 
because it was taken away from you and placed on another and had to be led into the wilderness never to return. And it was such a picture because on the cross, Jesus was both the scapegoat and the sacrifice. Upon him was cast all the sin of the world. And yet at the same time, his blood was going to provide for and be applied to the mercy seat. And though he was forsaken and lonely, Jesus, it was for one moment. And beloved, the scripture says, blessed is the man whose transgression is forgiven and whose sin is covered. Blessed is the nation. Blessed are the people that know that their sin is covered and that their, their transgression is forgiven. And that has been taken away far from us. That it has been led into a place where it cannot return. Such is the strength of Jesus' blood, of Jesus' salvation. And a lot of times we can pray, Lord Jesus, invade our loneliness. And, and uh, Lord Jesus, take me out of my loneliness. Where, however I got here, whatever is the root cause. But I want to say to you, beloved, when Jesus hung on that cross, in that loneliness, in that separation for our sake, he, he's not taking us out of our loneliness. He gets into our loneliness with us. He invades it and then he redeems it. Then he says, beloved, I'm going to take you on a journey where you're going to understand my heart. You're going to understand what I did for you on that cross. You're going to see that I am the beginning and the end of your hope. I am the beginning and the end of your, your salvation. You are not separated from God when you belong to me. It doesn't matter if you were dwelling in the enemy's camp. It doesn't matter if for a season you seem to be fighting the wrong battle. It doesn't matter if you lost your way for a season. I became sin that you could be forgiven. I, was, I bring you back into fellowship with your father. Hallelujah. That's what Jesus did. Hallelujah. Now what I want to quickly say is that when David got to a place where he found himself lonely and forsaken, when his men were turning on him, the scripture says that he called for the ephod. And he put on the ephod, which everybody knew what that was. That was the beautiful garment that the high priest put on, that he could remember what the sacrifices were about. And I want to suggest to you and I that when Jesus died on the cross, we received our ephod. We received a covering. We received a beautiful garment. We received a covering for our sin. We received access that God would hear us. We received the same kind of set apart, marked for God. It didn't matter how despairing or how lonely we were like David. It didn't matter who turned on us or what. David called for the ephod. He called for a remembrance. What is this relationship I have with you, God, through Jesus Christ, your son? What kind of relationship do I have? My sin is covered and I am not separated from you. You have not taken your favor from me. No matter how desperate my ziklag is, no matter how abandoned or alone I am, I am calling for the ephod that you gave me because you went to the cross. 
this beautiful garment that the scripture says is like putting on the new man where I put on this new life of Christ, where I put on a new mind and I put on a new spirit. It becomes something that's supernatural. It's no longer the, the mind of man trying to figure out how am I going to please God, but I have the mind of God and I know Jesus paid the penalty for my sin and it is covered. Therefore, I come boldly to a throne of grace in time of need. I come boldly to a throne of grace to find help in time of need. And we can say, Lord Jesus, I ask you now to put upon me a garment of praise. In my lowest time, Jesus, put upon me a garment of praise, a garment of worship, a garment of prayer. Put upon me and remind me that I can put on a new man where my sin is not imputed. It doesn't matter what the devil accuses me of or how bad last week was or how bad last night was. Beloved, I am Christ and I've been given this beautiful garment that covers my sin that God may work on my behalf. Beloved, of course, this is not for people who are dabbling or game playing, but this is the sincere Christian who is saying, oh God, sometimes I find myself in a spiritual battle. Sometimes I feel all alone. Sometimes it feels so hard to be able to rise and defeat what I see around me, what I feel inside my head. But God says, you are mine. I gave you an ephod. I gave you a covering. I gave you the garment of praise. Hallelujah. And that's what David did. He put on that ephod and then he began to praise. He began to understand who he was in Christ. And beloved, just quickly, I want to say the third thing, the next step is that the scripture said in David encouraged himself in the Lord. He remembered who he was and no matter how low he got beloved Christ the spirit of God in him began to summon something in him and beloved I just prayed today that we will we will receive the strength to receive the strength see when the devil tries to condemn us that there is no strength in God there is no help in God that we will say God whether I feel like I deserve this help or not I can call on your name whether I've had a good week or not, I can call on your name because you set the terms of the relationship. You died for me. You chose me first. You cover me. You gave me an ephod. You gave me a spirit of praise that resides in me. And beloved, I pray we receive strength. So beloved, I want to say, Christian, put on the new man and put on that garment of praise. Put on that new creation that he has given us. And then the last thing is that we return to the real battle. You see, because when David found himself in this situation, you see, all the men spoke about stoning him. They all came back to a real bad situation, fighting together, but for some reason, he was seen as the problem. And the voices around him what we're saying, stone him and how alone and isolated he must have felt. But he went from that place into putting on his ephod. I'm saying he went from a place of utter despair and distress and he put on his spiritual ephod. He put on that covering that only Christ gives. 
He put on the ability to think right that only Christ gives. He put the ability on to fight from heaven, not from his own spirit. That's what Christ gives. He put the ability on, no matter how low he was feeling, the spirit of God began to stir in him and he began to look away from himself and he began to look up and God began to meet with him and he moved from despair to worship and prayer, from deep, deep loneliness to all of a sudden an ability to get in touch with God. And the interesting thing is when he began with this He's, his prayer wasn't, his prayer was surprising to me because all of a sudden his prayer is, God, should I pursue after the enemy that stole everything from us? Shall I overtake them? Beloved, he didn't say, uh, God, now I need to talk to you about that bunch of guys back there that have moved their hand against me. I want to talk. I want to rehearse how they betrayed me. I want to talk about why I was unjustly accused. God, I want to talk about how hurtful this has been. God, I want to talk to you about how lonely I am. God, I want to talk to you about how abandoned I am. Beloved, he may have done all that, but I tell you, when we put on the ephod, where we start praying is not where we end up praying. We don't stop at the problem in Jesus' name. We don't stop just praying what we see and what we know. But beloved, he put that ephod on. And I don't know how he moved from a, uh, these people are the problem. And this has gone so badly. And God, why did you allow our village to be plundered? No, with that ephod on, with the right praying because of the right relationship Christ gave us. Praying because we know our sin is covered. I'm not going to let the enemy condemn me out of my victory here. Praying because I know God loves me and there's no separation. Praying because God is that good and that great that he can move me from despair to a place of pursuing. And beloved, David wasn't rehearsing the issues. He was released into a new vision, a new fighting. He was not discouraged. He was not drawn into that. And I want to say that I think this is so key for the body of Christ today, that when we get wounded in the battle, when we feel alone and forsaken, we refuse at that moment to be drawn into blaming the people beside us and keeping our vision where they are. Because when he got, when David got met in that place of putting on his ephod and remembering the relationship he had with God, that God gave him, all of a sudden, he's now in the real fight again. His fight is not against his brethren that themselves are equally wounded and confused. His fight was with the real enemy who plundered his house, who plundered his land. It was the enemy he was supposed to be fighting, the people who plundered him. And God gave him vision again to get back into the real fight. Beloved, the more that we push against spiritual zigzags, the more that we stand up in the right battle, the enemy will try to confuse us. When the enemy tries to threaten us and say, I will take all, you will not get your family back. You will always live in a low place of faith. No, we put our spiritual ephod on. We get back into the real battle against the real enemy. And David said, shall I pursue? Shall I overtake them? And the Lord said, pursue. You will recover all. And I don't know how those men went from stoning him to following him, but they did. 
I don't know how one minute he was like the devil himself to the next minute all mounting on their horses to go fight the real enemy that got the real results. Hallelujah. What an amazing thing is when you and I as the body of Christ remember this beautiful ephod that we've been given because Christ himself suffered the ultimate despair and loneliness and forsakenness only to defeat the devil through that. And you and I will not stay in our forsakenness and our loneliness and our despair because there is a remedy that belongs to the people of God. We will not look to the left and blame them and stay stagnant in that place. But you and I will fight the real enemy and the right fight. Those people were animated by despair and no hope. But God will envision a man or a woman that will go into that place and say, God, I'm putting on my ephod that beautiful garment of righteousness and holiness that you gave me. And whether I feel like it or not, I put it on. And I remember, I have no, there's no separation between us. No, if you need to convict me, the Holy Spirit will convict. But there is no separation. We are still in relationship with God. And he will hear us. So beloved, I just pray that you and I, that we go from um, not be part of that group that, you know, wants to stone one another because there's a higher and a better way. And the more that we get into that right Uh, place of fight the enemy will try to deceive us that our loneliness and despair is caused by the people beside us or caused by our situation but when we put on that heavenly ephod one that and of course that garment we are given I'm talking about that new man we put on the new man we put on that righteous garment that is ours because Christ went to the cross beloved When we are at our lowest, I just want to say, God did his finest work. Jesus did his finest work when he was the most vulnerable, lonely. When he went to the cross, died with his arms wide open, with an unprotected heart, that he may redeem you and I. He tasted that death for every man that death of separation from God and that death of no covering of sin. He tasted that death that he may destroy it, that he may give us a death. His death that leads to resurrection is ours. So beloved, I just want to say today, there is a victory over that loneliness. There is a victory over that kind of despair in our spirit. It does take our eyes being kept on Jesus. But he will not forsake us. And he will break up the depths of it. Sometimes it can sound almost too spiritual, the advice, but it's not. Sometimes it can feel like till we're down in that depths and know how faithful Jesus is, then it is amazing how he comes through. And he steps into our loneliness and despair. And all of a sudden we are put that ephod back on just like David did. And we're given spiritual vision and the strength to get up and pursue. Because the victory is ours. We will recover all. We will recover all. And not just for ourselves. 
But they won that victory for Israel. They run that victory for others. Oh, that God would grant us that ability as David did at his lowest point to experience the grace of God and the supernatural lifting power of God. That's called resurrection life. That's called being a Christian. That's called fighting one another becoming a spiritual army, not running each other through and not being deceived, but by going into the prayer closet and God envisioning us. And he goes, pursue, overtake your enemy. You will recover all. I pray we find that. Hallelujah. Preaching to myself here, preaching to myself. But you know, I've tasted a little bit of it. And when I see young men and women at that school rising with hope, it is worth it. And I pray that you experience the same thing. Let's be in the right fight, beloved. Let's see God do a mighty thing and give us great victories. Even And when we're at our lowest, let God whisper to you the greatest victory of your life because he can do it. Because he can do it. Because he can give it. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You know, this is a very uh, tough city. It's very tough. And it can feel very lonely. It can be... And in that loneliness, the spiritual fight can feel very, very tough. But beloved, I believe before me are elite troops today. People of the word. People who will call for the ephod, a spirit of prayer and praise at your darkest time. A people who will be willing to remember the amazing salvation of Christ. I just want to open these altars just for this time of believing God to touch us in our spirit and renew the fight, to renew and break up the depths of some, sometimes what the enemy is painting a picture as this is an unwinnable war that you are in. That he cannot be your way maker. But today God is going to remind us how to put our ephod back on. Remember who we are in Christ. So as we are singing... Just come boldly to the front because you know something? This is a place of spirit, physical healing. And right at this moment, it's going to be physical healing and spiritual healing. Our God is able. And I've seen him work over time in situations, but I've also seen him do it in a moment. I've seen him do miracles in a moment. We're just going to put on that garment of praise as the people of God that belongs to us. And by his spirit, he's going to touch us and do something that will truly help us. Lord Jesus, I pray for the supernatural ability given your church to encourage themselves in the Lord. I pray no matter how deep the depths that you tasted for all of us so that we are never truly alone, that you fully understand that you chose to go to the depths of the bottom of where any human spirit can go, you willingly went there, that, Lord, we may rise with you. Grant us the ability to encourage ourselves in the Lord. Oh, my God. You are the way maker. 
You are the miracle worker. Lord, we will pursue and we will overtake as we encourage ourselves in the Lord. We will not be sidetracked into the wrong fight. It is not people. It is the enemy behind people. It is the enemy who has plundered. That I thank you, oh God. You're going to teach us to fight side by side. That someone's going to get the revelation of encouraging themselves of the Lord. And many who used to oppose them are going to fight with them again. We're going to be back in the battle together again, oh God. I thank you, my God. I thank you, my God. Only you can do this because only you are a way maker through the spirit of man to encourage us in the deepest depths of our loneliness and darkness. Thank you for tasting it, oh God. But thank you that borrowed grave is our borrowed grave. We don't live in a grave, we live in grace. We don't live in a grave, we live in grace in Jesus' name. So God, would you let us Keep our ephod on. That beautiful garment of salvation where we have relationship with you and covering for our sin. There the devil is defeated. We will be not lied out of the fact that we are loved and forgiven. You are working with us in our flawed nature, but our failure never causes you to move away from us, only to move closer to us, to train us, so may the ability to encourage ourselves in the Lord be granted this people today. And I thank you for the great good as they ride off to fight the real enemy. The great spoils awaits us. Thank you for this grace. Thank you we, don't, we are only in a grave a very short time. Or you will be faithful to us. We will rise stronger because Christ is our God. On Easter Resurrection Sunday, all God's people said, Amen. Amen.